magic is power. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I am your Legacy newbie this week, and with me, as always, on the iPad this week, making it work, Jerry. What's going on, man? <laughs> ah, it's things are happening. Things are <laughs> happening, Pat. I got I got so many pieces of technology, except for the one that actually matters. Right. <laughs> um, my com- my computer shit the bed about you know two hours ago. So we're gonna we're gonna make it work. We're gonna make it work. <laughs> Jerry, you have, you have such a unique and uh, just an amazing gravelly tone to your voice. It, it comes through even on the iPad, so that's pretty ah, impressive. Excellent. <laughs> I spent many years at radio school learning how to perfect that talent. <laughs> and uh, you know also on the cast this week we have special guest Jeremy, aka I know I know most people probably know him by Zemet on Twitter. What's going on man? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. It's going well. So first and foremost, you can always find us on hipstersofthecoast.com. Every Friday we post. Uh, you know the guys, they cover everything from Commander and Cube, Legacy and Limited, and you can find us there on Fridays. Um, also, if you want to sh- support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash leavinglegacy. Uh, we have some awesome rewards. Jerry is working on playmats, right, Jerry? <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Don't sign up for the playmats here. Shitty. <laughs> uh, but you know we have stickers and all that stuff. So check it out if you want to support the show. I'll drop the link in the show notes. Uh, but our main topic tonight, uh, we have Jeremy on. Um, he ran the uh, very successful uh, Winter Lotus event this past weekend in St. Louis. Um, so we have a top a bunch of top eight deck lists to look at. But also we kind of want to find out a little bit about you, Jeremy, uh, what you've been up to, and what kind of your background in MTG is. A lot, to be honest with you. A lot. I know. I, I love it. You have this unique perspective of being both, you know, a store owner and operator and then also a player and also heavily involved in the legacy scene. You're like the perfect case study. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, like, uh, you know, how you got involved in Magic. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, God, this is going to sound like a humble brag. Uh, 2011, I uh, went to a yard sale. I played Yu-Gi-Oh! at the time. And um, my friends played Magic, and I saw a sealed box of Magic there for a hundred bucks, and I'm like, "Oh, this is pretty cool! Like a hundred dollars? That seems that seems about what standard boxes are going for at the time, even though I don't know what standard is." And uh, yeah, let's buy a box and open it with my friends and have some fun. Uh, that box turned out to be a sealed unlimited box, which I flipped <laughs> right away. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, oh that was God. my first foray into magic. Was uh, was uh, Jeremy, pro- yeah. I like how you come on and instantly just become the most loathed uh, guest. I started off as a Yu-Gi-Oh player and then I <laughs> yeah. sacked my way. <laughs> that is just like so, that's the rookie just stepping up to the plate and crushing it out of the park. That is amazing. Yeah. So it was like, oh, cool. Well, here's like sixteen grand at the time. Um, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what formats my friends play. And at the time, there was a shop called B&B Games that did weekly legacy events. So I was like, uh, might as well buy some Dual Lands at $20. And then the next week, Star City announced that they were doing their legacy circuit and Dual Lands quadrupled. <laughs> so I hit two lucky things in a row, basically. Uh, and that's how I got started in Magic, was turning $100 into a full collection of legacy. 
That so, is amazing. <laughs> so did you did you sacrifice a unicorn or an yeah? Fairy? You know, I feel bad for that mom whenever that kid finds out what happened to his box, but uh, I had no idea what I was doing either. <laughs> oh yeah, some guy comes back from college and he's just like, "Mom, well, you did what?" <laughs> yeah, that is rough. <laughs> That's rough. So, uh, so do you still get a chance to play Legacy now that you're running all these events? Uh, sort of. I played a lot of vintage this weekend, mainly in paper, because that's uh, that's a ton of fun. Played a little bit of legacy. Um, I'm not a good legacy player at all, so I mainly stick to selling cards. But uh, got a little rep in with uh, ad nauseum tendrils just to see where it was in the new meta, and uh, got crushed pretty handedly by uh, death and taxes and some other things. But it was pretty fun. Wow, nice. I mean, death and taxes definitely has the t- tools to k- crush uh, ad nauseum, but you think you would just go off in their face. Uh, right. I know a lot. Yeah. T- tell us I, about uh, that a bit. Yeah, I shaved all the green after um, after Top got banned, obviously. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need these decays anymore. I don't need these carpet of flowers. I don't need these swarms. Let's go down to, you know, a three-color storm deck. And uh didn't really seem to matter when uh, Death and Taxes is uh, just doing their thing and, you know, Thalia on turn two and then... Um, uh, uh, what the heck? Ethersworn. Yeah, Ethersworn. Thank you. Ethersworn on turn three. Just like not much I can do there to get through. So yeah. uh, got pretty handily beat, and I'm like, you know what? Let's play against some other guy. He was on mud, so chalices and trinisphere. Oh, just yeah. <laughs> like you know, just just getting slaughtered all weekend. Uh, well, fun though. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the biggest fear with miracles being banned was that decks like Storm and Reanimator were just gonna dominate the meta from here on out mm-hmm. but definitely seems like other decks have the tools to beat these combo these combo menaces yeah and we saw a lot of that at our tournament this weekend where the uh storm decks and the unfair belcher decks would um and a lot of reanimator decks too they would win round one and they would get matched up against either players who had the correct sideboard or players that were maybe at a higher skill level than their opponents and they were just sort of able to uh, play a w- their way around Storm and leave most of the Storm and Reanimator players in the uh, 0-2, 0-3 bracket by the end of round three. And that's, wow. that's the nice thing, too, is that you, you really did see a lot of people, like, kind of doing their saber-rattling, uh, you know, saying, oh, you're going to be sorry when, you know, when Sensei's top is gone and Miracles isn't here to keep all you guys safe. But, I mean, just from looking at the top eight of your event, it seems like it was uh, fairly, you know... Well-rounded, uh, well-rounded top eight. Um, nothing that was extremely unfair. Um, what What was the final numbers on the tournament? What was your total attendance? Uh, we had an 80-person cap tournament with plenty of people actually waiting to try and get a spot when we uh, when we fired this event. Um, awesome. Someone had apparently cast Hydro Blast right before the tournament because it rained for the 14 <laughs> hours during the tournament. So we we had people drive up to eight hours away. This event had capped a week after we announced it. And um, they didn't make it because of the rain, so some of the people on standby actually got a play, uh, which was quite interesting to see. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. You know, that's that's really cool because Legacy kind of has a bit of a reputation of being a uh, East Coast uh, format. They, everyone always says, oh, if you go out to Texas or Kansas or California, you're not going to find these Legacy communities, so... I was really surprised when I started talking to you on Twitter to find out that uh, St. Louis is such a vibrant legacy scene. Yeah, the Midwest is nice because a lot of the cities are about four hours from each other. Uh, if you guys know who Caleb Durward is, he stayed in St. Louis for a while because it was so 
it was in such good proximity to Chicago and Nashville and KC where all those legacy events were happening at the time. So you could have a real easy road trip on the weekend to get to a legacy event. Wow. Yeah, that is a good point. Yep. Um, I'm at the, one of the shops that I work with is based in the middle of Missouri, which is where we held this tournament. Uh, so it was only an hour-ish drive for the St. Louis players and a two-and-a-half-hour drive for the Kansas City players. So because of that, uh, and we have a lot of Iowa players, too, and a couple other podcasts come down and like play for fun. So basically, it's a less than four-hour drive for most people, and they're all back home that night after the Legacy Tournament, even after Top 8. Yeah, that's great. I would love... I, it seems like more and more... Uh, we're seeing eight-hour drives, nine-hour drives. Uh, you know, with Eternal Weekend being announced in Pittsburgh, that's a nine-hour drive from us to Boston. So I, I can definitely appreciate the ease of access of having major tournaments within, uh, you know, three, four-hour drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real nice. And a lot of the Midwest players have pretty much everything. Uh, the shop that I had mentioned earlier in the cast, B&B, I never actually, like, I had all the duels coming out of the gate, but people would just lend me tier one decks every week because they w- they had everything. I don't know if you guys have any players like that up in Boston, but you have the, you have the nice couple of people who own just like a playset or two of everything in, in existence. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah. yeah, here you go, you high school kid. Why don't you just borrow a beta <laughs> duel? You know, yeah. just like whatever death. Like what? It's just a piece of cardboard after all, which is sort of the mantra I've adopted when it comes to magic as well, is that it's just pieces of cardboard, guys. Like yeah, no uh, no reason to get too crazy. That's awesome. I think uh, Jordan Munson, he's a he's a member of our Facebook group, was talking about uh, they're getting some legacy started up in a new store in Boston, and he lent it, he lent out like three three legacy decks to just random people who came in the door. <laughs> so that's that's awesome that in people in the community are trusting with something that is you know very high value, but you know cards are meant to be played with. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the things too that you've I see with the legacy community a lot is that. People just want to play the game. I think it's a lot like vintage. You know, they want to be able to play and fire events, and they're willing to to lend out decks and lend out cards, um, so that can happen. Yeah, and you'll also find that legacy players are generally a little more mature than the other modern players, for example, or standard players, and they're at a better point in their lives where it's they think of it more as a game and not necessarily that they have to win every tournament that comes along. They're just there to play with their friends. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're a- there are lower levels of teen angst present. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now tell me, Jeremy, you've got these events to fire in St. Louis. This is what your second or third one that you've done, like these big events. Uh, this is this was our seventh event actually. Um, uh, the shop, like I said, this one's not based out of St. Louis. This one's in the middle of Missouri. Okay. Uh, it's it's like the perfect uh, meeting point essentially for all the Midwest players, and this is the seventh event that we fired, and every time it's either been an unlimited mox, a beta mox, or a lotus as um, as the as the first place, obviously, and we pay down to top 16 most of the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought this was a, kind of a winner-take-all event, because, you know, wow. So, so I don't you, know. Go ahead, yeah. You want to know the dirty secret about these tournaments? I'm wondering, because, like, how <laughs> do you not go out of business? <laughs> so... Uh, the tournament entry was $60 plus tax, and we had 80 people sign up, right? So that's $4,800, right? Yes. So you get first place, which is an unlimited Black Lotus, which is worth about $3,000 cash or something like that. Second place got a revised Underground Sea, which is worth like $190-ish cash. Uh, third and fourth place got sealed Eternal Masters boxes, which are like $150 at, a, at like normal pricing. Uh 
fifth through eighth got a Jace the Mind Sculptor, and ninth through sixteenth got six packs of Eternal Master. So you might be going, you know, what the hell? Like this is a this is a hundred percent payout tournament, and that's actually how we've run our models. Is we pay out a hundred percent of. Uh, what we're getting in and the players know that uh they're getting something in return in fact uh, i gave out a revised dual land per round as a door prize at at the last three tournaments i've run and uh it they basically i shuffle them up and they pick one and i actually had to give away like three trops and two undergrounds at the last one (laughs) for a made of ruby um but you know, you're like, well, you're losing a bunch of money. You're, you know, you got to pay judges, and I pay my judges the most in Missouri, as far as I'm aware. So we really just try to pay everyone what they're actually owed, including the players. Uh, so the money comes back um, through drinks, which is a huge profit margin, and as well as um, singles. Uh, I haven't looked at the number for the Lotus Singles Tournament, but the last one we did for a beta mox that was like, two thousand dollars in 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 uh in payout we actually did about four thousand dollars in sales that day for singles alone not including board games and a bunch of other stuff uh so the way players support us is they come in they look at what i've bought they look at our display cases and they buy singles just to say like hey thanks for hosting this oh that's awesome that's awesome that's something that i think like a lot of tos can take a page out of if they're if they're good like you guys and have Enough of one of the problems I find in some shops is that you'll go in to play like a legacy event, and they won't actually have like legacy or vintage singles, which makes it a little bit of a tough sell, tough to patronize a store when you when they don't really have much to offer you, you know. Yeah, I mean I've gone to stores before that are you know trying to kick off their legacy scene, so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go to the store, I'm gonna support them, hope they do well, so we can get another store playing these awesome events, and. They pay out, like, 75% of payout, so they're still getting a profit on entry fee. And then the prize payout is in store credit, and you look at their case, and they don't have a single legacy playable card in their case. And then they'll say, oh, we're paying out to top 16, but top 16 gets a booster pack of, you know, whatever the standard set is. And yeah, that's... That, mm-hmm, that's just not how you get people coming back to your events. We have uh, we have competitors that I'm friends with the owners and the owners think that you know offering Amonkhet or um, you know twenty dollar win a duel and if we get eight more more than eight people first place we'll get a Badlands and that'll be it like players just don't care about that stuff mm-hmm. they want to have the best time and they want to be compensated fairly even though a lot of like standard and modern players will sit through uh, twelve hours of Magic to win a booster box like that's not what legacy players generally want in my opinion anyway. Yeah, I think it also comes down to the, you know, legacy players tend to be a bit more mature. We, most legacy players work full-time jobs. We're doing this for a hobby. We don't want to be grinding out 12 hours uh, to, you know, win a booster box of something that we're not even going to use. We're probably just going to sell for $70 to whoever will give us the best offer. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Now, something you had brought up, Jeremy, because I listened to your uh, to your podcast that you did with um, with the guys from Spike Feed, and you had mentioned that like for you, like running the weekly events isn't as a high priority, or I don't, I don't know the best way to put it, but you found that kind of the sweet spot for you is it seems like every quarter or every every other month running like a large event like this where people can really plan for it. Can can you speak a little bit more to that and why that's been successful for you guys? Yeah, that's mainly a personal preference. First of all, I don't think all these players would want to come. Like, the Spike Feet guys are buddies, but they never see each other outside of our tournament, so it's rather easy for them to uh, shirk other responsibilities and come in every other month and explain it to their spouses and their work, I guess. 
saying like, hey, you know, it's that other month. It's been eight weeks. I'm heading out to the great state of Missouri to play some Legacy. How do you get that fix? Got to get that fix. So it's way more manageable for the players because they they get to play at their local shops and then they come to the big the big boys, I guess, since Star City basically abandoned us and they get to have some fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's great because I, I and I think when you were talking about that in the cast and I really kind of struck home with me because I'm in a similar spot as those guys. Like I have two kids, I have a wife, I have a full time job, and for me to get out of the house for a full day is is usually a, a feat in, a, in, a, in and of itself. So uh, when it's every other month or every every three months, it's a lot easier to make that case, and it's a lot easier for me to plan. Like knowing that there's an event coming up, and when it's well advertised, and I know a month or two ahead of time, um, I can really like carve out that time in my schedule. It's not like um you know some kid in high school who has every weekend free, and I can you know be out on every Saturday if I'd like to. I have to make time for these events, and and I'm happy to do it, but having the ability to know ahead of time is like so so crucial in that in that part of it and like another thing is it's a personal preference for me you know i'm only one person there's only so much time i can give to magic magic is not my priority down the line like many other people as far as vending goes you know i want to uh i'm finishing up my undergrad i'm going into law school and then after that i don't want to deal with selling magic anymore because it is it's a pain um and if you follow me anywhere basically i'm always out of town like i was just in japan buying magic cards i'm going to the maldives this month like it's just a ton of travel mixed in and i don't have time to every month uh hold tournaments basically mm-hmm. yeah so <laughs> so you mentioned you know you you went to japan and you were buying cards so was your trip to japan solely for that purpose or were you yes. just going so yeah just straight up so what what kind of brings you to this uh, you know decision this plan that you're gonna travel around picking up these cards you know what level of demand do you have for these cards already before you even leave or are you just you know this will be a fun trip let's see if we get lucky uh, we are pri- the shop that I'm at by the university that I work with is uh, primarily a casual shop in fact there's about thirty uh, something players playing EDH right now. Uh, at the shop and we're primarily a casual market and in japan uh there's no such thing as edh they don't play casual format so you can go over there and pick up chromatic lanterns for two dollars and soul ring for 10 cents and if you pick up enough of those you just come back over and sell them to your locals and you pay for the trip that way wow yep and that's the sort of uh bad part of mtg finance you know that we could spend 10 hours talking about that but uh <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of a lot of little tricks and uh buyouts that take place when you realize huh i can pay for something this way uh i know if you guys follow corbin hostler on twitter uh, he bought a refrigerator with uh, zendikar fetches <laughs> by speculating on those yeah i oh, heard yes. about that i heard he got like like he he sold them before they like quadrupled in price <laughs> yeah. yeah he sold them when they went from 10 to 20 and he's yeah. like man i beat the market i got a hundred percent return and as yep. soon as he got that fridge delivered they were up to 35 at that point but you know what though like i i totally agree that that is a like his move is completely correct and there's nothing to be ashamed about in that move that's it seems like a great move in his, on his part Definitely. Uh, I, I'm also kind of intrigued about, you know, the Japanese markets. Uh, I remember reading on your Twitter feed about, you know, picking up foils that the Japanese players have a different uh, attitude towards foils, towards English cards, towards Japanese cards. Can you go a little deeper into that? So the Japanese grading system, if you pulled it out of a pack and you didn't sleeve it right away, it's already played. They are that strict when it comes to grading cards. So just like in America, when you have, uh, if you go to a Grand Prix that's Star City, 
hosts, and they have that played section where all their played cards are on sale for way lower than market price. Uh, Japanese shops have that as well, but their played stuff is are slightly played. Gotcha. So they'll price something at 60% of the Japanese price, and I'll be picking up slightly played chromatic lanterns for $1.40 or uh, slightly played Toyerian Academies for 10 bucks, and slightly played Sarah Sanctums for like 15s. So it's a completely different ecosystem over there. Hmm, and wow. um, I, I wrote for uh, MTG Price for a while with uh, Sigmund Ostfresser about uh, how to manipulate that market. And uh, before that, it was no one really knew about it but the head honcho finance guys, and now everyone knows about it. So we, we sort of uh, got rid of that avenue of free money for a lot of finance people because a lot of people that were traveling to Japan casually or for work stopped at some of the places we mentioned or started shopping online at the same places. Mm-hmm. So, you know, heaven forbid the market gets more efficient. Like, you know, I just... What I'm such a monster for taking away their free revenue source by writing an article about it. So I got a lot of flack about that. So Give it was fun. Power to the people. Yep. <laughs> um, so in America, Japanese language cards, uh, a lot of players like when they try and uh, pimp out their decks, uh, there's the foreign language nuts. Uh, is the same true in Japan? Are there people who have all English decks in Japan? Uh, you know, because I was doing a lot of uh, work as far as buying cards, I didn't really stick around to watch anyone play. It was just, what do you have for sale? Here's my money. Buy next shop. Um, one of the cool things and one of the well-known parts of MTG Finance now is Akihabara. Uh, and, like, in Japan, land's at a premium, so they build upwards, obviously. So there's buildings where there's five card shops stacked on top of each other in an eight-store building. So you walk in, and there's no play space. There's just display cases, and you go and buy there, and then you go up one floor, and you buy there, and you keep going up till you hit the top. <laughs> then on your way back down, you might buy some more packs because you're feeling lucky. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's just a completely different thing. And that's why Wizards is sort of hurting a lot of these businesses over in Europe, too, is because you have to have this many square, spe- uh, square feet to play in. You need to have this many chairs, and there's just not room for that in downtown London or in Tokyo. Yeah, I've heard that's made some of the, like, the foreign shops uh, having a really hard time keeping their, what is it, like their WPN status, whatever the case is. Right, and you know they've been there for over a decade, just trying to provide for their customers. And you know, Wizards comes along now that the game's starting to gr- slow down, and they're not making as good of profit margins. If you look at their investment reports, and they're saying, "Ah, oh, crap! Like, what are we gonna do? Oh, let's officialize shops." And that's this isn't helping anyone outside of America. I mean, it helps a lot of American shops, but it's real, real devastating overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one size fits all doesn't really work when you're a global game. Yep. Uh, all right, so let's uh, get into the uh, the tournament real quick. We don't have to go too deep, but it seems like you guys had, like I said, you had 80 people at the event. Um, top eight was, let's see, so we saw Bug Delver come in eighth, uh, Band Deathblade, uh, Infect Elves, Reanimator, Alluren, Sneak and Show, and it looks like it was taken down by Infect. Is that how it ended up shaking out? Yeah, the Sneak and Show player punted in game three of the finals for the Lotus. He forgot that Lotus Petal could activate Sneak Attack when he drew it and conceded. Oh. Hey, I wasn't I wasn't playing in that tournament. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't he didn't name Pithing Needle with Pithing Needle Jerry. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's that's my my go-to move. <laughs> uh, I have had people try and cross and grip my uh, sneak attack in response to Lotus Petal. I'm like, yeah, that that doesn't work. <laughs> you can't do it that way. Yeah. Um. One of the cool things about our legacy scene is we have a lot of recent converts and. Uh, 
there's always like about a dozen players in our events that are just playing shock lands instead of dual lands and mm-hmm. uh, ha- only have one deck or like part of a deck and their friend let them lo- the rest. And one of the main complaints on the Reddit thread was, oh, this guy sucked at Sneak and Show and he still Luxacked his way into top eight. Like uh, Sneak and Show's too strong, but may- you know maybe he just was after 12 hours of playing magic or whatever maybe he was just too tired and he's yeah. just like i'm done yeah you know? yeah everyone forgets that especially yeah. when you see like the finals of a main tournament it's like oh man he made a slight error it's like well his brain's been working on this for the last 12 hours some things are going to fall through the cracks yes absolutely yeah people i think people are way too critical of you you know when you get in those later rounds, it's it's exhausting, like mentally, to play Magic for twelve hours straight. So definitely got to come a little, little bit of slack here. <laughs> um, one thing I was surprised is that we didn't see. Now maybe you can tell us better, Jeremy. Um, some of the decks we expected to really kind of see a big step up after the Sensei's top ban. Um, a lot of uh, hex depths. I don't know if you guys had any of those down there. We had two lands um, mirror matches for when and then. I th- er, no, it was the round before when and then. They were both sitting at like sixth seed and fifth seed and mm-hmm. uh, ninth seed and tenth seed, I believe. And that looked miserable. Um, one of them was red green versus um, Jund Depths, mm-hmm. and the other one was uh, Turbo Depths versus just your basic red green lands. And uh, they just got matched up against. Um, Reanimator, I believe, for the one and in, which just destroyed lands and infect, mm-hmm. which was just also able to pay for the tabernacle and wipe them out. Nice. So, just wasn't really fair when you're playing combo for your one and in on lands. You know, yeah. sphere of resistance can only go so far. <laughs> yeah, that's a little tough. That's a little tough. Yeah, I, that's something we had talked about a little bit on the cast was, and again, it was people saying that all these degenerate combo decks are going to rule the format with uh, with miracles not around. And obviously, like I think that there is a high enough. Uh, uh, let's see, like, there's a high enough uh, concentration of Forcible decks, there's a high enough concentration of decks that are still running Swords of Plowshares, where that's not necessarily the case. Well, it's also, it's not debatable, I mean, we have seen an uptick in combo decks. Sure. Uh, it's not It's not like it's been a, a completely flat turnout. We are seeing more Storm, more Infect, more Sneak and Show. But I think that's just a matter of the fact that these decks were established, powerful, linear strategies that were, you know, doing well. They weren't doing crazy good, but they were still putting up results mm-hmm. in the Miracles meta. And now that Miracles is gone, of course, they everyone slides up a spot and becomes that much better. And right, right. But I mean, like, there was the people concerned we're not that seeing, going to like, overrun the format, you know. Yeah, it, we're not seeing Combo Summer or anything like that play out. <laughs> it's not like we're seeing eight, eight Infect or, like... Three Infects, three Storm, three Reanimator. Or no, that's too many cards. That's too many decks. You, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, and even among Infect, they both took different builds on their build path as far as their main deck. So it was real interesting to see two different approaches to Infect, essentially. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Like, uh, what, were, what were the two variants? So one of them was your classic uh, Brainstorm Days, Berserk, Become Immense, like all that fun stuff, right? The typical uh, Infect um, uh, package, I guess you could call it. That would probably be the best way to describe it, right? <laughs> Shell. Shell, yeah, yeah, that works too. Um, so if you look on the uh, the Reddit thing, obviously the first place Infect guy was playing the normal uh normal infect package the other guy was playing sylvan library main which i was it was an interesting meta call in my opinion mm-hmm. uh normally you don't see stuff like that uh his sideboard had like it, he was playing the bant version with mother of runes and swords in the pl- swords in the sideboard 
and a lot of Hydro Blast, which was definitely a wow. different take on Infect. Uh, yeah. So I really enjoyed it. He also had his Flusterstorm's main. So really <laughs> he was playing like a pre-boarded deck. <laughs> yeah, basically, I it was cool. But yeah. again, maybe he's hedging against me. You know, perhaps he's thinking the same thing that that I thought that we'd see a lot of ant out there. So having the Flusterstorm main deck might be fine. And if you're able to Flusterstorm, you know, uh, a removal spell on one of your Infect guys, it's always it's always valuable as well. Yep. I'm I'm intrigued by the Sylvan Library main because that's something I would expect if he was afraid of miracles because Sylvan Library is one of the best cards against former miracles. So that's an interesting meta call too. I wonder what that was for. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, that's probably something I should book over and ask him about. But um, I'm, you know, it's just what people want to play sometimes, or sometimes they can't afford their last card. Uh, if there, I know this was this guy was a newer Infect player and he still did fine. So it's real interesting to see uh, the pilots of these decks make these metagame calls for our tournaments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did you have anyone show up to the tournament still having Sensei's Divining Top in their 75? Uh, no, we uh, we actually were one of the biggest percentage Miracle Player uh, hubs in like the Midwest. Uh, our previous tournament had seven out of the top eight on Miracles with a 30% Miracles base. Um, <laughs> uh, there we go. John Orr was giving me shit about this on the Facebook group. There you go, John Orr. There's your example of a top eight dominated by Miracles. Right there. <laughs> uh, we had we had 19 players that were on Miracles for this tournament either sell their spot or drop. So it was, a, it was going to be a quarter of the field. Damn. And we also had a couple of sad Painters uh, players and one Doomsday player that had to change. <laughs> oh, the... <laughs> exist he does exist (laughs) the mythical doomsday player yeah Yeah, and he had he had been practicing quite a bit leading up to this so i felt real bad for him that sucks yeah yeah, painters doomsday i feel bad for those guys that does suck but i think the collateral damage is it's worth it's worth what it's doing to the format so (laughs) necessary evil I, uh, Julian Nab mentioned uh, at the MKM, MKM Frankfurt tournament when the judge announced that Sensei's Dividing Top was banned, people just cheered, <laughs> just <laughs> standing up. <laughs> oh, man. Everyone loves a topless tournament. It's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Pat, I heard you uh, stream topless the other night. I did. I did. I did stream some topless legacy. Uh, I, oh, I was you... playing Grixis, and it, was, uh, it did not go well. Were you or were you not wearing a shirt then? I was wearing a shirt, but no pants. So. Oh, well, that's not really a top. Uh, anyways. It is when I do handstands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for that image. Burned into the back of my mind. That will never go away. <laughs> um, <laughs> Remember that old show, Ah, Real Monsters? Crumb, oh, yeah, of course. Who, yeah, yeah, the guy who holds his... That's what I pictured. So you just do... <laughs> it looked a lot like that. <laughs> Oh, good, good. <laughs> um, so there was the NCAM event this week uh, as well. This is the other like large legacy event that we've seen post-ban. Uh, Jared, did you want to go over the top eight here? Sneak and show one. What more do we need to say? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, Pat, but I don't have it in front of Okay, I'm yeah, sure, all right. So... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the top eight consisted of let's. Do, I'm just gonna go down the list here in no particular order. Uh, we had food chain. We got our friend Julian Nab. He was playing elves, of course. Um, we saw Reanimator, Agrolome, Stoneblade, Show and Tell, Grixis Delver, and Storm. So talk about just having like eight different decks in the top eight. That's just so nice to see. 
Um, yeah. It looks like Show and Tell took it down. Um, they have the deck list on here. I didn't see anything. I, I didn't get a chance to look too hard into it. Uh, the let's see. So the Reanimator deck was like the black red uh, variant. Looks like here. Yeah. Right? I mean, I feel especially in this meta, black red Reanimator is going to do very well just because of how quick it is mm-hmm. and being able to protect the Chancellor of the Annex mm-hmm. uh, just gives them without a hard control deck in the meta yet. It just gives them a huge leg up. Though I have seen more and more blue-black reanimators pop up. Hmm. There's a cyborg card that I think uh, is gaining prominence along the Star City circuit, as well as MKM and our tournament that I know we had a lot of demand for. Let's see if you guys can guess this. It's a Ice Age card that's red and black, and it has a picture of the dragon on it. Oh. Red and black picture of a dragon. Oh, oh! I, it's like a sideways view. I can picture the card. I it's one <laughs> red and a black, and it's like a sideways view of the dragon. And I can't remember what the name of the freaking card is. <laughs> Fire Covenant. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So this card saw a lot of play in both Grixis and Red Black Reanimator at our tournament. Uh, a copy of it did make it into the top eight of MKM, and there's a lot of SEG pros that are starting to recommend playing this in your sideboard as well. So it's a, it's a three-mana instant. It's as an additional cost to Fire Covenant, pay X life, and Fire Covenant deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of cre- target creatures. Huh. Mm, so it's like a Red Black Toxic Deluge Fire... Uh, fireball combo type thing. <laughs> just a way to get the last couple of points then. I guess yeah. so. Oh, so they're just naming it straight at the face. And oh, I was also thinking, because you can do it to uh, creatures too, or did I mishear that? You can. Yeah, so you can also use it to clear the way of like, uh, you know, some Thalias uh, that are holding you back from comboing off, uh, or just, you know, any real hate bears in general, Deathrite Shamans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just for creatures though, you can't point at the face, Jerry. Oh, you can't point it at the face? Mm-mm. Oh, no, I, was, I, I was confused when he said those last few points of damage. I was just... <laughs> yeah, my bad. <laughs> it's, like, it's like casting Chain Lightning at end of turn, right, Pat? <laughs> That's right. Hey, Jerry. <laughs> if you're not cheating, you're not trying, Jerry, right? Thanks. Thanks, Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, so the uh, the event was taken down by Sneak and Show. Um, I don't know. I didn't see anything too exciting in the list, um, or in the Grixis list, um... But was it's nice to see uh, eight different decks in the top eight, and nice to see Punishing Loam make its way into a top eight finish. Yeah, I was really excited about that, because Punishing Loam was actually the deck I was considering sleeving up, uh, just because I want to play some Chalice of the Voids. I know. Chalice of the Void just seems so good right now. Everyone <laughs> thinks they're safe. I sent all my Chalices down to our friend Nerdwalla on Twitter, and he sent me some uh, some bug stuff, so I don't, have any much, I don't have my Chalices anymore, but I think he's making yeah. people miserable with Mono Red. <laughs> Mono Red Sneak Attack. <laughs> Yeah, he picked up all those foils for me while I was over in Japan. That deck's a monster. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Good, for them. Uh, Good for them. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I actually, so I have uh, Team America Bug Delver sleeved up. Haven't oh, played nice. that deck in years, and it felt real good just putting that deck together. Like, that deck just feels so compact and powerful, just curving Delvers and Deathrite Shamans into Tarmogoyfs and the Lilianas, <laughs> and now you have uh, Leofold in there, so... I'm excited. I'm gonna get out to the shop uh, on Thursday and sleeve that up for the uh, the Thursday tournament. Nice, very nice. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's sweet. Um, do you think you'll be playing Punishing Loam anytime soon, Jerry? 
Uh, I definitely want to. I, I, it basically it's coming down to how many nights I can spend sleeving and resleeving decks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna try and do like Bug Delver on Thursday, and then if I get out of early work on Friday, I want to try a new variation of uh, Sneak and Show where I uh, switched it up a bit, and then on Sunday I might want to put Aggro Loam together. <laughs> so I just gotta I just gotta get these these decks together, and luckily there are too many shared pieces across the board, so yeah. that makes it a bit easier. <laughs> uh, so Jeremy, when you're playing uh, Legacy, do you have do you have a chance to play anything besides Storm? Yeah, basically anything I want to sleeve up, honestly. Um, I played a lot of Red Black Reanimator before Top got banned, and that was just not a walk in the park by any means at uh, GP Louisville on the sides. Um, but yeah, mainly vintage lately. Been so- been on sort of a vintage kick. With uh, with Top Band, I want to see where the meta settles before I try anything too crazy, but I'll probably play Nick Fit next week. That'll oh, probably nice. be my choice. Now, with the restrictions in vintage, uh, what have you seen kind of happen with that format now? Uh, honestly, I'm pretty happy that uh, Gush got got the axe. You know, Stephen Menendian's probably crying while all of his books don't sell, but uh, it was a good move. <laughs> yeah, I, he's the one I feel the worst for. He got a freaking book banned. <laughs> yeah. Um, been playing a lot of two-card Monty lately, uh, popular, popularized by uh, Ben at uh, Librarian of Lang. Uh, mm-hmm. Guy's deck is a monster. A uh, lot of degenerate things that go on in that in that list. And, you, uh, so yeah. I always hear people talking about two card Monty, but I have no idea what that deck actually is. So it's two cards that infinitely combo to kill your opponent: Painter, Servant, and Grindstone, and Leyline of the Void, and Helm of Obedience. And because you're playing Vintage, the four main deck Leyline of the Void is just a house against Reg and Oath. Right, you're just shutting off probably what like 25 percent of the meta right there. Yeah, so it's just a ton of fun. And I really enjoy playing that deck, so I uh, I cheesed a lot of people this weekend with it. <laughs> that sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> Hell, I play that in Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the original, like the uh, the old Eldrazi decks had like the the helm the helm uh, leyline combo in them uh, between the sideboard and the main deck, so. It's definitely out there. <laughs> That's actually something we didn't mention the other uh, cast when we were talking about uh, miracles replacements. Is uh, rest in peace helm uh, is actually another kind of blue white strategy that I could see coming back in the forefray because that was seeing some play before miracles, you know, finalized its threat base. Mm-hmm. And we're sold out of. I, I actually sold out of them today. That two mana Urza's rare that's blue uh, that you can't beat out damage until a card goes to your graveyard. Like that card's getting real hot lately. Wait, what card is this? <laughs> What's the name of that card? We're like prevent energy energy field. I think. I'm, I'm looking this up on my cell phone. I, I feel like I'm just rubbing two sticks of twigs uh, together to make a fire. Yeah, energy field <laughs> is one in a blue for an enchantment. Uh, prevent all damage that would be dealt to you by sources you don't control. When a card is put into your graveyard from anywhere, sacrifice energy field. Oh, yeah, that was also another one, because that combos with rest in peace to basically make you unkillable. Right, and then you eventually kill him with helm. Right, yeah. Oh, oh so that that's, is sweet. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I forgot that was the second half of the deck. Uh, yeah, oh, so you're, those copies are moving, or you're completely out of copies of those? Yep, and it's real nice like seeing online and physical sales just to know exactly what people are trying out. <laughs> and I would almost say it's an unfair advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my legacy play doesn't make up for it, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's okay. It's like how my luck compensates for my complete lack of skill. <laughs> I, I think one of the great things, though, in the wake of the Sensei's Top Band is that you're just seeing a lot of people doing new things, right? Like, before it was like, you know... Do we run three predicted our miracles deck? Do we run two predicted our miracles deck? <laughs> and now it's like people are actually trying cards that I actually could not even remember energy field before we just talked about it. So uh, it's it's awesome to see those things kind of happening and people brewing in the format and trying new things. Like yes, these top eights that we saw were all established decks, but it doesn't mean that there's not room to move in the in the field now. It's a little bit more open than it was before. I keep chuckling to myself every time I pull up uh, the magic price tracker and see that Soothsaying has doubled in price again. <laughs> and granted, it goes from like 25 cents to 50 cents to a dollar to two dollars to I think it's at like four dollars now. But <laughs> it's just hilarious to see people People are trying. People are trying and God bless them for just getting out there and playing new decks. <laughs> Uh, but seriously, Sue's saying it's a bad card. People, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe people are trying that card. <laughs> this is so bad. Uh, so, any any other uh, gems of insight you want to uh, share with people, Jeremy? Well, I mean, I make money off people not knowing information, right? So. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm like, anything else? <laughs> I mean... MTG Finance is, like, everybody thinks they know it. Like, the one thing that I think normal normies are, can relate to is uh, is just don't listen to alpha investments. Like, I understand the guy has a lot of subs, but he's just full of shit and he's BuzzFeed. So we, we call him, uh, we call him uh, Alpha Feed and Buzz Investments pretty much everywhere else. Like, the guy's just, like snake oil salesman in my opinion so just ignore whatever the hell he's saying i never understood the appeal of that guy personally like i don't even think i don't even find him that funny so i don't I, people really love that dude and i don't i don't get it i don't get no, it i mean no, you who, get yeah go ahead jerry no he reminds me i'm blanking on the name the uh the real life stock uh advisor on CNBC. wolf of wall street not no. wolf of wall street. no he, he like he has a oh TV jim kramer now. yeah thank you Jim Cramer, that's what he reminds me of. And Jim Cramer is just doing the same thing with Wall Street, just on CNBC from, like, 12 in the afternoon to 3 in the afternoon, just going, like, pitching stocks and random graphics coming up. And <laughs> he reminds me more of the guy, like, that that money. Have you, do you remember the guy who used to have, like, daytime commercials wearing, Mad like, money. the suit with the money signs on it? <laughs> Mad money. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah, that well. That's what, remind, that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> Uh, but so, so it's not buzz. It's actually just boring, hard work and grinding numbers. Is that what you're telling us? No, it's much more than that. <laughs> uh, Give like, us the glitz. Give us the glamour. Well, I'm currently sitting in an apartment with about 3.3 million cards in it. Not even the <laughs> shop. <laughs> just stacks of 5,000 sorter boxes. Yeah, just... <laughs> uh, everyone thinks it's an easy life, but like when you can't sell as fast as you're buying, it's uh, it's a lot of fun to just... Um, uh, today I was uh, looking to find one of my suit jackets for uh, school, and I looked and found a one row of Shocklands, and I'm like, oh, that's new. So... Uh, <laughs> It, you know, like, some people might be thinking while they're listening to this, like, holy shit, this guy's just bragging. It's like, no, I paid, like, a couple grand for that box, and I lost it up until a couple months ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. there, there's a segment I have with my friends where they go in my trunk, and they see how many magic cards they can find, and we found, like, uh, wastelands and dual lands and expeditions just, like, in the trunk. 
because there's just boxes and boxes, so it's it's real bad. <laughs> if the heat death of Legacy ever comes about, it's because all the copies of Dual Lands have been accumulating in Jeremy's trunk. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I, I think you're still doing good work, man. You're freeing these cards from me, you know, being in people's bulk boxes all over the place, and you're getting them out into the wild so people can play the, the best format around. Yeah, it's so a real... I, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. It's a real thankless job, honestly. Like, people don't understand how much hard work it is. Like, for example, today I had the very unpleasant experience of buying cards from a, a brewery owner. And, you know, as I was struggling, he just kept plying me with free beer while I was buying his collection. So I'm just sitting in a closed uh, brewery, just drinking as much beer as I can while I'm buying this guy's collection. And it's going to take a week, and I'm going back pretty much every day, so free beer for the next week, man. You're you're really helping your case as the sad, poor, poor... It's a rough life. (laughs) It's a thankless job. (laughs) But but like you said, you you got to really grind your value out of that, too. Like, I... You're picking boxes all the time, picking out of bulk rare boxes as well. So that's not that's not it's not easy work. Yeah, it's not fun. Like there's easy tools for people that want to get into finance and learn how to pick their bulk. There's plenty of tools for that. That's not that hard. It's it's being able to like look at a, a two row of old rares and know exactly how much you're paying on each one, and that takes a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Now people always have this fantasy of being a shop owner and little old lady comes strutting in off the street saying, oh, I found my grandson's magic collection in in the attic. Is, is this worth anything? And it's just full of dual lands and power. You know, what, what would you say, how often do you just get a collection of just utter junk? And how often do you just get those, you know, amazing finds that's just everything under the sun? Uh, last month I probably bought about a hundred, like, whatever collections, and then I hit, like, three bombshell collections, but this is, like, not normal. Uh, last year I hit two bombshell collections overall, but one of them essentially paid for my entire year. So it really is just, uh, this guy came in and he's like, I've got $5,000 worth of cards, I want to pay off my car. And I'm like, that's great, what prices are you going off of? Because a lot of Magic players don't understand, uh... Pricing, they want like full Star City, full TCG. Obviously, that started to change, but it's been a big problem the last five years. And he's like, "Oh, I was just using Scry 1994 or 95." And he's like, "Black Lotus is still worth 200 bucks, right?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "Well, I've got three Alpha Black Lotuses," and he's like, "And I'd like to get 600 dollars for them." I'm like, "You've got to be shitting me!" I'm like, "There's no way." So he brings it in, and it's all near mint or mint because we got some of it graded Alpha stuff. Wow. And he just went to a con when Magic was starting off and bought a bunch of stuff, opened it up, and threw it in a closet and forgot about it. So uh, that paid for pretty much everything uh, for school. And then the other one was just like, you get a lot of uh, a lot of things where people will have tens of thousands of dollars in their bulk boxes, and it really comes down to, are you going to honestly pay them what it's worth? And because I do, and because I pay out more than other people... Uh, I get a lot of recommendations to go and find these old collections, which is where this uh, brewery collection came from. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, didn't you say you were? Well, yeah, I, I think I remember you saying you're one of the highest like buy prices around uh, around your area, right? Yeah. yeah so highest buy price area in our yeah, area. So, so to clarify, so like the guy who said, you know, I want six hundred dollars for this Alpha Black Lotus. You know, what what did you end up giving him for it? Uh, fifty-five thousand for the collection. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a that's a fair bit better than the you know five thousand he wanted. <laughs> yeah, so he actually ended up paying off his house instead of a car. <laughs> well, I got I got I can't imagine what his face was like when he found out that he was sitting on like tens and tens of thousands of dollars when he thought he had like five grand in the box. 
Yeah, and like the other thing that like if you're going to get into finance, I can't stress enough is opening a business. Like, don't do this through your personal stuff because the IRS <laughs> will go crazy as long as you have a good accountant and you keep all your eyes dotted, which I do very meticulously because uh, you basically get audited every year doing this. Because uh, <laughs> they think you're selling drugs. It's yeah, I've just... <laughs> actually had my bank stop me from pulling out money because they had to like ask the FBI to make sure, like stuff like that. Like wow. when you're pulling out like the same amount of money every week and you're depositing a lot of cash. Oh. Your I bank starts to get a little curious. Yeah, I work in finance, and that is a big red flag when a customer on Monday withdraws a hundred grand and on Wednesday deposits a hundred and ten grand. And it's not even <laughs> that; it's all the neighbors seeing people stop by at all times of night to pick up cards, but they don't know. That. Walking in and out of the house with backpacks all the time. And... Yeah, yeah, like boxes that they keep covered, you know. <laughs> And they're always, you know, kind of furtive looking, just looking around like they have something really valuable <laughs> in their hands. <laughs> so it's uh, interesting. Yeah. The the, un- the unknown problems. That's <laughs> that's pretty funny. But I mean, so it sounds like you definitely get a lot of business. Like, like you said, just kind of treating the people who come to you right, and you know, not scumbagging people ends up paying way more in dividends down the line. Yeah, and like because I'm I'm literally spending a week picking through this guy's bulk. Like we've I pulled out probably another two grand worth of like ten dollar uncommons and commons today. Like Ristic Studies one, no one knows is nine dollars, but he just had a stack of them, um, stuff like that. So like because I'm taking a whole week out of my time, like yeah, I'm pulling an extra like it'll probably be another like ten grand out of his bulk and commons that are worth money, but like. I got this hookup through a recommendation, and when this one's done, he'll recommend people to me that come into his bar and stuff like that. So as long as you're you're paying them the correct amount, like it's worth it. And like my profit margins may not be the highest because of that, but it makes me sleep at night, which is all I care about. Because this <laughs> yeah. isn't the end goal. So you know, as long as I do it right and I do it honestly and I pay my taxes correctly, I'm fine. <laughs> you want to say say that a little louder? I don't think the NSA heard that. He is paying his taxes correctly. Well, that's one of the things in this industry is people will go and sell like you're. So if you've ever sold cards to a vendor, you're supposed to pay taxes on that if it's over a thousand dollars. And legacy players, especially, I know one of the members was downsizing his collection on stuff he didn't need. Um, you're supposed to pay taxes when you go to a vendor and you get that cash. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of the few people that has a spreadsheet that I, I write down how much I'm getting from each vendor at Grand Prix, just in case, you know, like, it's just better to be safe with that sort of stuff. Yeah, you don't want to go. To, yeah, that's, the IRS doesn't mess around, man. <laughs> yep. So, like, if you're selling a legacy deck and you get two grand and you put two grand cash in your bank, your bank might be like, well, what's going on? So just interesting to know. Yeah, I mean, if you ever need to hide stuff in the Cayman Islands, just just ask me. I got that covered. <laughs> um, all right, so Jeremy, is there anything else uh, going on down your way you want to plug right now, or do you have, you have anything come up you want to talk about? Uh, we have another Legacy Tournament on June 24th, keeping in line with every other month. Um, so that'll be fun. I think we're probably already sold out for that, though. Like we <laughs> we we haven't even announced it yet, but the amount of people that want spots is I think we'll just be sold out as soon as we announce it. So, uh, yeah, it's a rough life, guys. It's a rough life. <laughs> any any thoughts about uh, maybe getting a second location or you know renting out a hall if you're getting this this much turnout? You know, I'm not greedy, so for me, it's just way easier to uh, to just do it in the shop and not have to worry about it. You know, a lot of TOs would chase um, bigger venues to sell out and maybe pay their judges a little less, but 
I don't really care. Like I'm I'm okay not making as much of a profit margin on the tournaments and just having it contained within what I know rather than having something go wrong and having a lot of mad players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A lot of be- lot to be said for that too. Yeah. Yeah, Always there's up no- Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it's always good to be able to deliver a high quality product rather than go for dollars and not be able to deliver what you want to. Yep. I agree. Like it's better to be conservative in this industry in my opinion than it is to just chase every dollar. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Awesome. All right, um, Jerry, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we got out of here today? Uh, no, I mean, there probably is, but I can't look anything up without making so. <laughs> Yeah, Jerry. I'm just going to I'm gonna make a fire in my room instead. <laughs> and I'm reverting back to caveman days. Okay. okay. <laughs> As I talk to you on my iPad. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so Jeremy, if someone wanted to find you or talk to you about, uh, you know, uh, trading cards or... Uh, buying collections, uh, where can they find you? Are you on Twitter? I know you're on Twitter. Can they find you on Facebook? Where else can they find you, man? Uh, I'd like to keep my Facebook affiliated with just actual friends. I know there's <laughs> a lot of Magic players that have no social lives and want to friend everyone, but uh, I like to keep that a little separate. Um, Smart man. Smart if you're man. a modern player, don't even come after me because I'll just block you because you're stupid. <laughs> uh, Telling it like it is. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to deal with your shit, man. Like, if you're looking for lingering souls and Path to Exiles, like, sorry, bud. Like, not my problem. Go chase whatever else you need to do. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. I'm just as arrogant there as I am on this cast. You can find me... Uh, you can follow our podcast where we talk about how to make money on magic at cartel underscore finance where cartel aristocrats on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, YouTube. And next week we will be on one of the biggest, um, content creation pages out there. I can't talk about it yet cause we haven't signed the deal, but, uh, apparently enough people liked our show that we turned some heads on a content site. Nice. Uh, nice. so I guess we're doing something right. Um, <laughs> you can, Find the shop that I'm currently working with at Valhalla's Gate on Facebook. We're located right next to the University of Missouri, and we'll definitely buy anything uh, for actual prices instead of lowballing you like the neckbeard at your LGS. Um, <laughs> Ever, have you is is Jason an alt on a uh, cartel? Because I just feel you two would would make a great like buddy cop drama. He, it's hilarious actually. We can't stand each other because he's a Blackhawks fan and I'm a Blues fan. So we uh, we chirp back and forth all the time. Uh, they stole Douglas Johnson from our cast after a year and put him on Brainstorm Brewery, so he got promoted. But we're oh, still they're, they're permanent guest hosts, right? Yeah, yeah. So we had Doug going, and we had a good thing going. And they're like, hey, Doug, you want to record Brainstorm at the same time as Cartel? And obviously he took that chance. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of want to organize a brainstorm brewery cartel aristocrat like dodgeball game. Just yeah. who comes out on top. It's okay. Those guys are pretty short, so it'll be fine. I'm not doing <laughs> like uh, Doug's like five two, and I'm six three six four. So it's perfect. Um, that height advantage. Yeah, I'll love the brainstorm brewery though. I get along with Jason and Doug pretty well, or Corbin and Doug pretty well. <laughs> Fuck Jason. Yeah. Just kidding, Jason. Just kidding. I I mean, I called him out on the latest cartel, too, so it's completely worth it. Um, You can also, if you like my writing content, I've written for MTG Price. I've written for uh, brainstormbrewery.com. I've written for, uh, 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 oh, man, cardconfidence.com, I think is what it's called, some other website. Um, I looked at writing for Hipsters of the Coast, but I just don't have time. Generally, you find that a lot of finance guys are too busy grinding nickels in, to write uh, to write articles. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, uh, follow me on Zemet at Zemet Sells Magic. That's X E M I T Sells Magic on Twitter, and I'm just as arrogant there as anywhere else. <laughs> so I'm trying about, that point home. Yep. How about you, Jerry? How about you? Where can they find you, man? I, I feel like I need to research my resume after that one. <laughs> uh, I'm on Hipsters of the Coast. I'm writing every Tuesday. I'm actually excited for my next article. I'm I'm making an as foretold legacy deck, Pat. Oh, really? It's gonna, it's going to be foretelling. <laughs> Is that why you were looking for foil copies of As Foretold? No. Yes. <laughs> I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're like $35. Screw that. I'm not paying $35 for a foil As Foretold. <laughs> I thought you were a baller, Jerry. I thought you were a baller. Yeah, but I mean, I also recognize a bad investment when I see one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait two weeks and get it for like 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, unless I'm, am I am I looking at this all wrong? What what what's your <laughs> price prediction for foil as foretolds? Uh, you're correct. Um, I sold a lot of them. Uh, if you need a Russian foil one, I've got one for sale. Why don't tell me these things? <laughs> uh, it's like I already yeah. gave you my money earlier this week. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I got the. Uh, you, you're sending me the. Uh, Survival of the fittest. Oh yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, the the other <laughs> thing. The other like, thing oh, on no, Twitter no. is. Uh, the other thing on Twitter is I I do a lot of sales on like twenty percent below TCG and my DMs are always insane. But if you send me a message, I'll eventually answer it. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Just as long as that uh, survival of the fittest is on its way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Try totally. not to stuff it in an envelope right now. <laughs> it wasn't a hologram. <laughs> Uh, anyways, I, I write for uh, Hipsters of the Coast every other Tuesday. Me and Aaron uh, Gazaniga, Gazinga, Zingzang, Badanga. Uh, we trade off articles on Legacy Brews, so mine will be coming out uh, the Tuesday after this episode awesome. airs. Excellent. Yeah, I'm also on Twitter at jmethird. Also, I'm all over all the Facebook groups. There are so many freaking. Uh, Deck Brewers Facebook groups. I love it. I just joined, uh, or I guess I'm an administrator of the uh, Blue White X Stone Blade list. So, <laughs> seeing a lot of cool Stone Blade lists coming through my Facebook feed, which I'm loving. Awesome. What about you, Pat? Uh, you can find me at Pat Uglow on Twitter. Uh, you can find my stream, um, twitch.tv slash Pat You can find the Facebook page in the show notes. I will put the link down there. Uh, you can also find the Patreon in the show notes as well if you want to support the show. And, uh, yeah, I just want to thank all of our supporters. We had a new uh, Patreon supporter this week, Ian Seedfeld, our friend. We were talking about him last week on the cast, so I uh, just wanted to thank him for, uh, for supporting the cast. <laughs> just <clears throat> going to start calling out fans by name. Well, I mean, no, no calling <laughs> out Patreon su- No, calling out Patreon supporters. He, so he, 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 he pledged to our Patreon, so I wanted to say thank you for that. Um, uh, and uh, So, Jeremy, uh, we don't do shout-outs on the cast. We do scoops in the top eight. Uh, anyone you want to scoop in a top eight this week? Oh, God, there's so many. Oh, humble plug as well. I have a YouTube channel that I've had for six years. <laughs> no, your resume's too long. Uh, <laughs> um, shout out to the Magic Man Sam. I've known you since you were like 100 subscribers big, and uh, Tolarian Community College, Brian over there as well. Uh, Sam was like a block away from the stabbing that occurred the other day. I guess some oh, Stoneforge player was real mad at his Pithy Needle video or something, but uh, <laughs> he got through that okay. And uh, Toyerian Brian has just really taken off with his channel. It's been real cool to watch him grow since uh, uh, back in the day. Yeah, I can awesome. uh, I can attest. I actually had just started listening to Sam's uh, cast 
Well, he does like the videos on on YouTube, but he also posts them on uh, MTG Cast, I believe. And I just happened to like start listening to them when I saw him have. I think it was he had Aaron Forsyth on, he had Rich Hagon, he had a few other people that I that from Watsi. And uh, man, he just does a really high quality uh, cast of his. So, so that's good on him, man. And obviously, the professor is always crushing over at Tulare College, so it's it's always good to see him doing well. Yeah, and I got one more, if that's okay. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just joking. You, you can do more. <laughs> uh, shit, what's his name? Uh... <laughs> Always the best start for a uh, scoop in the top eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I feel like I should know this guy. Hmm. Where'd that go? Oh, shout out. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Randy Bueller. I know a lot of people give him flack, but he 10 owed me in old school at a GP, so, I mean, the guy still knows how to play Magic, even Jeez. if he's... Even if, uh, he, you know, I just walked up, I'm like, hey, do you want to play old school? He's like, sure, I'm on my lunch break, and then he just 10 owed me right away. Wow. So uh, he's a real good guy. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. So those are my scoops. <laughs> How about you, Jerry? Uh, I don't, uh, I'm going to anti-scoop my, my computer. You're going to dream crush your computer? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dream crush my computer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, I'll, I'm going to scoop it Ian again and uh, say thank you. And once again, uh, Johnny Cured for our intro music. Um, thank you for that. That stuff is great. And uh, all the people in the Facebook group, you guys are fantastic. And it's that's growing every week. And we're at like 500 and some odd people on there. And, and it's, it's a good environment for, uh, for people who are into legacy. Yeah. Oh, I'm also going to scoop in Jeremy for coming on the cast. Thanks, Yes, man. of course, of course, yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's real refreshing to not have to talk about modern with people, so I really appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime you want to blow off some steam, you're come on on. Absolutely. Thanks. Jerry, Jerry you, have a, uh, you have a die for us tonight, man? I do. All right, roll it. We got 13. Lucky number 13. Uh... <laughs> This is actually you, Jerry. I don't think you get to choose songs. No, no, if mine came up, I get it. That's the rules. This cast so, is rigged. Yes. <laughs> no, these are the rules. It's I put it on there. I've been waiting months. Which one is it again? I forget. Uh, talk, to, talk to me. Run the jewels. Oh, yeah. Good ass song. Good ass song. Play that right. shit. Sure. <laughs> I, I, that was relevant at the time. I forget what it was relevant to. <laughs> that was put on there for Oh, man. All right, great. Great, we'll play that song tonight. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! We return from the depths of the bad man With a gun and a knife and a waistband With the war with the devil and Shaytan He wore a bad toupee and a spray tan So high now, hoping that I land On a tight stick, moving through Thailand On the radio, heard a plane hijack Government did that, like the cook crack I'm moving the world of conspiracies Obey no rules, I'm doing me Smoke kush, transport to the airport Customs found a joint in my passport Full cash and I gave him what he asked for God damn it, it's a motherfucking miracle Small bride made it back into America Hit Uber and maneuvered out the area Rhyme animal, pit bull terrier Rap terrorist, terror I paired up Brought gas in the matches to flare it up Militant Michael, Michael, psycho On any ally or rival Born black that's dead on arrival My job is to fight for survival In spite of these all lives matter as white folk This is spiritual warfare that you have been dealing with This is not a fight that you have been dealing with flesh and blood But this is a fight against principalities And evildoers And unclean spirits RTJ3 motherfuckers. Great man did it face down in the Vietnam muscle walking on style on you. And then I walk uphill both ways to the booth and back and I'll wild on you. You think baby Jesus killed Hitler just so I'd whisper? You safe and sound and he quick tap your phone and I have a file on you. Huh. What 
I'm a star, I'm on par with the best ever took the gig. I'm a super cap with dot dot in the dust, no bottle to touch. I got firm clutch on a grip and a bust. I might go fly the tank, take a ride of the bang. Got the son of Rick Rubin, rush a full thrust. Don't back free shit to the shark tank judge. Talk real good, cause it's smart stuff. We a good crew to fuck with, better love. Hey, 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 hey,